Welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends and in the house today. And B, I'm going to go out on a limb and I want you to back me up on this. Two-thirds of the greatest backcourt that's ever played. And I'm putting that down right now. Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, Magic Johnson. You can't name any other three guards in, I think, in the history of the league that were better than us. What do you say about that, B? I Coop, I say, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so good to see you. I agree 110% with you. Uh, I've been debating that for years, and I've been looking at other backcourts trying to figure out, when I mean, you put together a threesome like the threesome that we had back in the Showtime 80s, that there's not a better backcourt in the history of basketball. And, and I even went back to the to the Laker days, you know, where they had Jay and Gil Gurch. I was like, all right, who's the third guy? You know, I couldn't figure that one out, you know, so – all these backcourts, you know, in, in the uh, NBA history, when you start talking about the best three or backcourts uh, in the history of the NBA, no doubt in my mind, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, Magic Johnson, without a doubt. You know what, B, I, 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 when I was kind of thinking about that, the only one that may rival us is back in the uh, late 60s, 70s, uh, Walt Frazier, Vic Barnett, and Earl the Pearl Monroe. That was a good three, but none of them, none of them the only one that could play defense was uh, Fraser. The other ones weren't defensive. All three of us were pretty good defensive players. As you said before, you you were the best defensive player I've ever been around, uh, individually, team-wise. And when I talk about defense, all-around defense, you know, Coop, you, you had everything, you know, uh, speed, quickness, strength, uh, athleticism. You had them long-ass arms so you can guard six, eight, six, nine guys, but also that helped you guard those six, one, six, two guys. And then you had me, you know, pretty good on, on individual defense and team. And then you had Buck, who was, you know, okay individualized, but great team, team defender. So when you put those three elements together, again, I, I just don't think, you know, Earl and Walt, there's no doubt about it, those two guys are great with, with, with Barnett. But those three guys, to me, still don't hold a candle to what we were able to do on both ends of the court. I agree with that. Everybody, Byron Scott is in the house on the show. B, I'm going to show you something real quick because I'm real proud of this shirt here. I got my New Mexico Lobo shirt on because we went to ASU. We're going to get into that a little bit, how we used to whoop y'all's ass. But that's a whole nother story for a moment, Todd, back in the 70s. Yeah, it is. B, I it talk a lot. I was playing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> See, I talk a lot about, well, as we were growing up, you hear all this where the best players are from uh, New York, uh, from Washington, Rutgers Park, from Philadelphia. You know what? People don't understand. We had a lot of great players, myself, yourself included, Reggie Theus, the late, great Dennis Johnson, uh, Tyson Chandler, Lisa Leslie. Uh, tell us about you growing up in Los Angeles. Russell Westbrook. Okay, all yeah. right, we don't get to you. You know, yeah, AR jumping, uh, you know, another century or so above. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Cooper, I'm with you. You know, I, I remember playing back in the days, my high school days. That's all I heard about was New York ballers, you know, how good these guys were. And and I played AAU ball when it was BCI at the time, you know, and I had just got in my junior year and went to Utah and Arizona and played against the so-called best you know, high school players in the country. And we ate New York up. You know, I mean, we ate New York. We lost one game in two years in, in the team that wow. I played with. And we had myself, Leon Woods, Darren, Darren Day, um, Cliff Livingston, guys like that. So we had 
had a, you know, we had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder because that's all we kept hearing was about, you know, was about New York ballers. So growing up, I kept hearing that same thing. And like you said, when I look around uh, from when we played and, and even now, you know, California has always represented itself well with some of the best high school players, best college players, best pro players in the, in the history of the game. So like you threw out a couple of names and, and you know, guys that we know, you know real well. You can even go up to the Paul Pierce's and James Harden today, Russell Westbrook. We still, you know, California still put out some great basketball talent. And I, and I continue to think it's, it will continue you know, as we get older and older and even when we leave this earth. Are there different styles between like New York and L.A. in terms of reputation versus reality or is it similar? Yeah, you know, the, the reputation they had when I was coming up is that all these guys had great handles and were great athletes. Couldn't shoot worth a damn, but they all had great <laughs> handles and, you know, were great athletes. And the, the, word, the word of hearing on the West Coast was that, you know, we could shoot and, and do all that, but we were soft, you know, which which I still don't understand. I know, I know that man I'm talking to, Mr. Michael Cooper, was not soft at all. I know me when I was in the NBA with him was not soft at all. I, you know, I, I was just like, me and Coop and, and, and Buck, you know, we were the enforcers on our team. You know, we, we was ready to fight anybody at any time, anywhere. It didn't matter. You know, so that soft, you know, label that was given to us in California was, you know, I, I think misrepresented because it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me. It wasn't him. And, and I think a lot of guys got labeled. But it was kind of the label back in the day. We were soft. We, were, we, we, we had guys who could shoot, you know, and New York had ballers. They could handle and they were tough. And that's so much bullshit. I don't know what I, I don't know what else to say about it. Oh, finally, <laughs> you came out of your pocket, Vicky. I was going to talk about fuck that, man. We were damn good, man. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'll be the one with the potty mouth. So, B, you find yourself at Morningside. You have a great high school career, and now you find yourself at Arizona State. How did that happen? Oh man, cool. It was a long process. You know, I was getting heavily recruited by pretty much everybody on the West Coast. You know, I, I made it a I made a quick point to everybody in the East. I ain't going East. I ain't going where it's cold and snow and all that stuff. I'm a California boy. I'm going to stay close to the West Coast. You know, so that that pretty much got rid of all those people in the East and the Midwest about recruiting me. So it basically came down for me to ASU, uh, UCLA, and Vegas. And at the end of the day, when I, when I was choosing between Arizona State and UCLA, uh, Jim Herrick, who I know you remember well, who was yeah, assistant coach well. at UCLA, he came in. I still was trying to figure out where I wanted to go because my mom was like, you know, I would love for you to stay home and go to UCLA. My dad was like, no, nah, you probably, you know, Arizona State, Coach Newman, they're going to take care of you. And so I was torn. And my mom said to me one day, she said, you know what? Something's going to happen that's going to make your decision easy. Well, that's something that happened was Jim Hare came to Morningside and I still was you know, trying to decide. And he told me, he said, look, look, look at me, you know, Mr. Scott, I want you to look me in my eyes. And he said, people that don't go to UCLA don't beat UCLA. And I said, God damn, I'm going to Arizona State. Play your ass twice a year. (laughs) You you don't challenge an inner city kid like that. You don't like that to me, right? And so that was the reason I went to Arizona Mm -hmm. State was basically because it wasn't that far from home, number one. Number two, I got the chance to play against UCLA twice a year. Wow. B, you know what? You uh, some of your accolades: three-time NBA champion, eighty-five, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, NBA All-Rookie first team in eighty-four. Uh, you are Euro League champion, first team All-Pac-10 in eighty-three, Pac-10 Freshman of the Year in nineteen eighty, 
you got your jersey retired in Arizona State. I ain't never got mine retired, but I'm working on it. 14th grade All-American, McDonald's All-American. I mean, you had so many accolades and you go to Arizona State. Is that why you left early? Because you felt you were ready for the NBA? I did, Coop. I mean, I I played there three years. I had another year of eligibility. And and what made my decision, I think, easy is that the the, the late, great DJ, who you mentioned earlier, Dennis Johnson, who played with the Phoenix Suns at the time. And I used to go to a lot of Phoenix Suns games, and I used to watch him in the Greyhound, you know, Walter Davis, you know, and that was a hell of a backcourt. And he would come to ASU and uh, and would run with us, you know, in in the summertime when the season was over. He would come to ASU and run with us. So, this one particular time he came after I finished my junior year and I was trying to decide if I was going to go pro or not. And we were playing, you know, five on five and he guarded me every game. And I, I had an, I had a nice, you know, four or five games. I was, I was playing well against one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And DJ told me after we finished playing, we were in the locker room, you know, we showered up and we getting dressed. And he said, so what you going to do? And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, I know you got a big decision. Are you going to go pro? Or are you going to, you know, stay your last year in college? And I said, I don't know, DJ. I'm still trying to figure it out, man. He said, he looked at me, Coop, he said, you ready? He said, you ready? And that right there, mm. you know, gave me the confidence to say, you know what, if I got a guy like DJ, you know, telling me that I'm ready, you know, I must be ready. So I'm going to go ahead and make that decision. And I decided to go pro. You know, Ari, some of the guys, uh, there's a difference between cocky and confidence. And I remember when Byron was coming out and all the flack was him was coming out and Clippers had the pick and, you know, the great Jerry West, and we'll get all into that. But one thing that Byron said when he came into the NBA was, I'm better than Magic Johnson. He put that statement out there. And you know what? When we finally were able to get him, the trade was made. We lost Norm Nixon, but we brought in this young guy and we put his ass through the test the first two or three days. And B, I'm going to tell you this. I never said this to you. I knew you were ready and you were going to be part of our team after about the fourth training camp because, all right, we were banging him and he was hitting us back and we kind of isolated him. We wouldn't talk to him for a couple of times and him and AC Green were off to the side. And But you know what? He never lost that focus. And one day he went in. Uh, this is when I knew he was ready and AC Green was ready. So I went in to dunk on AC Green. AC Green blocked my dunk and slammed me to the floor and said, boy, you better stop that because AC didn't curse. But Byron went in, I guess it was always one of the veterans there that was there and slam dunked the basketball. And, and that's when we had a newfound respect for him and he became part of the group. What was your feeling, B, when we were going through those times in training camp? Well, you know, first of all, I, I wish I hadn't said that about Urban in the first place because I knew y'all was upset. And <laughs> I didn't know how good, you know, shit, I, I didn't know how good, you know, uh, Buck, yourself, you know, were, you know, I'm just watching on TV, but to actually get into practice and go against y'all, I was like, shit, these dudes, they, they got game, you know, and they were, they were going at me, AT, they were, they were beating me up and everything. And I was like, you know what, I'm from the hood. So I'm, a, you know, everything they give me, I'm going to give back. You know, that was kind of my, that was kind of my, you know, my way of thinking. But when, when they accepted me, it, it was like one of the happiest days of my life. Cause I knew it was going to be hard because I knew Norm was a boy. And I needed to go through the fire. I knew I had to earn my stripes. And that's probably one of the main reasons that, you know, why, you know, Coop was throwing them sharp-ass elbows and hit me and, and Buck was hitting me, that I didn't, I didn't panic. I didn't really retaliate because I understood that, hey, man, they, you know, they're a little upset. You know, you, you hear in, in place of their boy, you got to deal with it. And I was like, 
but the way for me to make a statement was, you know, first chance I got to dunk on somebody, I was going to dunk it and dunk it hard. And I, I, I thought once I did that, and they was kind of like, oh, shit, okay, well, all right, well, this kid ain't bad, you know. And then, then we were the three musketeers from that point on. It was, it was, it was heaven after that. Yeah, it wasn't enough that you'd replace Norm Nixon, you know, like like that was hard enough as it was as a team that had won championships together with Norm. It, it was, you know, then you had to make, you made the comments about magic. So it was like, you did not make it easy on yourself. <laughs> right. No, I, I didn't. I, I pretty much put my damn foot in my mouth and I had to, uh, I had to deal with it. And, uh, and, and Coop and Buck, they didn't, they didn't let me forget it. That first four or five practices, man, I was like, shit, these dudes. First, I thought they were crazy. Then I was like, but you know what? It's all good because I'm from Englewood, too. I can be crazy as hell, too, you know. So I, I had that kind of, you know, attitude. <laughs> but I also knew that, look, I, I'm going to have to go through this. It, it's simple as that. You right. have to go through this. You have to earn your stripes. And, and I knew that. So, it, you know, it wasn't, as, it wasn't, it was, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And to be honest, I thought it brought us closer together as the, as the years went on. Obviously, we had each other's back. And, and like Coop said earlier, we formed the best three in, in, uh, of guards, you know, to me in NBA history. You know what, B, and I, I thought, again, that was something cocky to say, but that's the confidence in you. And uh, you know what? If I had thought of it, I would have said the same thing. You know, who is this guy? Who are they? You know, I'm here. I'm just as good as these guys. So don't look at it like that. But uh, you're listening to Byron Scott on Showtime with Coop podcast insightful bs with my laker teammates and nba legends and be with this portion of the show which i call coop's lightning round i'm gonna give you five names Uh-oh. and you tell me as much about this person as you want okay hey sports fan it's that time of the year again and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season as always bet online is your number one spot for all the pros and college football action this season Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest 200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their open day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th, season opener between the Super Bowl champs Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wages will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. You're listening to Byron Scott on Showtime with Coop podcast insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends and be with this portion of the show, which I call Coop's lightning round. I'm going to give you five names Uh-oh. and you tell me as much about this person as you want. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Jerry West. Okay. Uh, innovator. Uh, one of the greatest general type of talent that I think we have seen in our generation, everywhere he goes, uh, you know, the Lakers, Memphis, you know, he, he, he just touches gold. I mean, he has a unique way of uh, being able to scout talent. And even to this day, you know, Coop, I still call him my basketball dad because every decision I made when it came to coaching, I called the logo up. He would always pick up the phone. We would always talk about it. Uh, I would get my five or six words in, and he, he took over the conversation. And then I, the, the next words I would get in is basically, all right, Jerry, talk to you later. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but, uh, yeah, unbelievable, man. I love him. I love him, too, B, and that's a great, great uh 
uh, label you put on him, our basketball dad, because Jerry treated all of us like we were his sons. But yeah. uh, next game, LeBron James. One of the greatest players of all time. I think he will definitely go down in history as that. Um, I, I love the way that he's kind of patterned his game after Magic, being a 6'9 point guard, but he, he's not the true point guard. We all know that he's more of a scorer, but he also is a, f- a facilitator. Um, and to me, a winner. And I think he'll go down as, a, as, as one of the greatest of all time. Not the greatest, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of talk between him and MJ on who's the greatest of all time. That, that, you know, that title still goes to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in my mind. Um, but he is definitely going to be in that top five, top ten when you start talking about greatest players. We're starting to think alike, B. Scott. Uh, Dr. Buss. Best owner ever. Uh, innovator, a visionary. Uh, you know, Dr. Buss was the one that talked about bringing in, you know, TV, you know, uh, crime time at the time and, and bringing cheerleaders, you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, do their thing at halftime and do their thing between timeouts to keep the, keep the crowds engaged. And um, you and I both know, you know, anytime you were around Dr. Buss, you know, he treated you just like you were one of his, you know, he, he was one of the best owners I've ever seen, ever been around. Um, he even called me Coop when I got fired from New Orleans, he called me and asked me, when are you going to be back in town? I want you to come to a game. And when I came back, went to a game, sit in the box with him and we just talked, you know, just talked basketball. Uh, he, he was just a truly unbelievable person and one of the most humble people I've ever met at that position. I mean, uh, again, another person that I just love and, and miss dearly because Dr. Buss was something. A lot of stuff that goes on today, you know, even, even with the Lakers organization, you know, and even though Jeannie's doing a great job and probably before Jeannie took over, a lot of stuff that's going on over the last five, six years or 10 years with the Lakers wouldn't have been happening with Jerry Buss here. Yeah. There's no way. You know, a lot of it wouldn't have happened. So, uh, I, I still think by far, to me, the greatest owner of all sports, of any sport. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is one of the most gifted uh, point guards I've ever seen. Um, this kid has no weaknesses offensively. He can go left as well as right. He can pull up off the dribble. He can catch and shoot, three-point range. Uh, I, I saw the kid at 19, you know, when we had him in Cleveland, uh, we would post him up. He was that good in the post. Uh, he, he just has no weakness. He could be, you know, really when this is all said and done, if he can continue to stay healthy, uh, he can be in that conversation as one of the greatest, you know, small point guards, you know, the Isaiahs, the Chris Pauls and guys like that, the John Stocktons. He can be put in that category if he can stay healthy and, and just play the game of basketball and kind of just leave all that other outside stuff alone. But the kid is extremely talented. Uh, and like I said, I had him at 19, Coop, and I saw it right then. I said, this kid has no weaknesses on the offensive end. You know, he would have been uh, uh, <laughs> been a nightmare to guard. I'm glad we don't see people like that. But he's funny. Uh, last but not, not yeah. least, Kobe Bryant. One of the greatest workers I've ever seen. Um, and, and I know it, it's, it's crazy, Coop, because how hard me and you and magic and all those guys how much we practice and you know how we would get to practice early to work on our shots how after practice we have shooting games you know us three and then magic you know developed a little baby hook that he had us doing in practice every day we was doing all these games but but kb was a different a different beast 
And, and I tell people this all the time. Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, more talented than Kobe Bryant, athletic-wise, and but, but they didn't have the heart and the desire and the work ethic that KB had. I mean, 37, you know, 11 o'clock practice, he's there at 930 because he wants to get five – he wants to make 500 shots from five different spots and then practice. I, I mean, I, I just never seen anybody like him uh, from that standpoint, and that's why, to me, he made himself one of the greatest – you know, players of all time is his work ethic and his Mamba mentality was second to none. Hey, that's from Byron Scott, my top five. Okay, the lightning round. B, uh, a little bit about our playing days and let you go. I know you're busy because you got to get back out there on the golf course. What do you shoot? A three, a four? <laughs> First of all, Coop, I can stay here all day with you. Man. You know, I mean, shoot, I, I'll do golf later. Yeah, I can do that tomorrow. No, thank uh, you. My handicap, look. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, come on, man. You know you come way before that. That's why I'm in love uh, with my, my caramel. Caps are five. It's, it's that's a why I'm. In, that's why I'm in love with my caramel flavored teammate, Byron Scott. <laughs> B, uh, your thoughts on some of the Celtics that rivalry with the Celtics? Who did you hate most on that team and wanted to hit? Now, I'm gonna tell you mine first. I wanted to slap the shit out of Cedric Maxwell so many times, man. <laughs> And now I've grown to love the guy. <laughs> Who you know your what, guy? Coop? I mean, of course, Danny Ainge. Hated <laughs> Danny Ainge with, with a passion. You know, I just wanted to. You know, I, I remember. I remember we had one play. Buck was like, "B, we're gonna run fifty-two. So you're gonna catch the ball, and Danny Ainge is gonna be trailing. So he's gonna be on your left side. He said, "I want you to go up, put that left elbow out. You're gonna hit him right in his damn throat." <laughs> And I said, Buck, that's going to be an offensive foul. He said, baby B, trust, do that. Man, I did that shit, Coop. Bam, shot it, heard the whistle, the ball. Count it. Foul on Danny Age, right? And Danny Age over there like this. You know, did you see what he did? You see what he did to me? And Buck, that's what I'm talking about, B, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, man, I wanted to hit that dude. Every game we played, I was trying to find a way just, just, to, just to get one on his ass. I just wanted, I just hated him so much. But like you said, you know, when he went into being a general manager and I'm coaching, uh, um, I had to have I had had a few encounters with him where I had to talk to him and everything. And after that, I, was, I mean, we, we, were, we were cool. You know, everything was kind of squashed. And, and I found out I, I didn't like Cedric as well because he came in to do an interview with me when I was coaching in New Jersey. And it was my first year coaching. And our guy said, well, he does it with every head coach. You know, so can Cedric come in and do an interview with you? And I, and I looked at him just like this, and straight up, his name is Mark. I said, Mark, hell no. I'm not doing an interview with Cedric. You know, coach, he does, it with every, he does it with every team every team he had coach. I said, I don't give a shit. I ain't talking to his ass. And I didn't talk to him. The first year, you know, we went Boston twice. I never did an interview with him. And then my man, Marks, was like, coach, you're killing me. The next year, he's like, please. Every, I said, all right, I'll talk to him. So he comes in. You know, Cedric, hey, what's going on? And I'm sitting there like, what's up? You know, and we finally sit down and we start talking. <laughs> I was straight Inglewood too, Coop. I was like, yeah, what's up? You know, and he sat down and started talking. <laughs> started talking. And he ended up being there like 10 minutes later because I was like, okay, you know what? We had a good time. And I was like, all right, this dude's all right. You know, so it took me a while to, to open up to like, you know, Danny and, and, and Maxwell and, and Larry, we were on, you know, uh, uh, the panel together for the first, you know, for that lottery pick. And so, you know, got to know Larry a little bit more. But 
Yeah, it, it was hard for a while, but man, ML Carr and Danny Ainge, I wanted to knock the shit out of them. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's like you guys really had bad blood for each other and it lasted. Like you hear that when you talk, when we, you know, we hear Coop talk to any of these, these guys and I don't know, does that exist today in today's game? Is that gone? No, that's gone. These guys are all buddy buddies. And, you know, I, I knew that when I was coaching New Orleans and, and we were playing against Utah and Darren Williams and Chris Paul, you know, were, were, you know, they were right behind each other in the draft. You know, we ended up getting, you know, Chris Paul at four. Utah took, took Darren Williams at three. And, you know, the night before the game, we come in, or the day of the game, we come in for shoot around. And Chris Paul was like, you know, what'd you do last night, coach? I said, I do what I normally do before the night, you know, night before a game. I go to a movie. You know, and, and relax, and I go back home, and I, you know, start thinking about the game. I said, "What you do?" He said, "Oh, me and uh, uh, Darren came over. You know, last night we had dinner and everything, and, and you know, spent the night. I took him back to the hotel this morning." I said, "You did what?" I said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, y'all did? <laughs> he spent the night? I said, what kind of shit is this? And and now y'all gonna go and battle each other?" I said, "Man, I don't get it." I said, "I, I just don't get it." I said, no way in hell that if Boston was in town, me and Danny Ainge going to have dinner together and he's going to spend a night at my house. I said, there's nowhere in him. So I don't get that. That, that Those rivalries are, are been gone. You know, that's why all these guys are joining each other because they want to play with their buddies and all this shit. I mean, that, 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 that stuff, is it don't exist, the rivalries like they did back in the day. That Boston Celtic-LA rivalry will be the best and last rivalry that we'll ever see. But, you know, it being really made basketball, took it to another level, enabling these players to do what they do today. Oh, I agree. I, I mean, you know, you know, what we were able to accomplish in the 80s and 90s and, and the teams before us have made the game what it is today. You know, the popularity of the game, the money these guys are getting paid, you know, has all been paved the way by, you know, us, just like it was paved the way, you know, from Cousy and, 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 you know, and, and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and all those guys and Jerry West for us. So, you know, I don't, um, you know, to, to me, you know, I tell them kudos to all of them, you know, get as much money as you can, you know, why you can, because it is a business. Um, and, and as soon as you can't play the game, you're going to get traded or, or cut or whatever the case may be. But this game has been made on the backbones of all these guys before them. So my biggest thing with all the young guys is pay homage to the guys who got this to where it is. You know, they, they don't know the history of basketball enough, which is something that's surprising me. When we came in, you know, Coop, you, you before me, but I know when I got I, – I knew about the Celtics back in the day. You know, I knew the history of the game back in the day. These guys I, – I was in Cleveland coaching, and I mentioned Sidney Montcrete, and they was like, who was that? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You don't know, you, you don't know Sidney Montcrete or James Tony? You know, guys like that, they was like, no. I was yeah. like, man, y'all, y'all need to really look back at the history of the game of basketball. You know, B, after after we play our game, I went overseas. You went overseas and played a little bit. But again, one of the things, what influenced you to get into coaching? For me, Coop, it, it was something that Pat Riley said and Larry Brown. When I, when I was with the Lakes in my fifth or sixth year, me and Riles was talking one day, and Riles said, and I mean, he said it just like this. He said, when you when you coach one day, you'll understand what I'm going through. And I looked around, I said, you out your damn mind, right? I, I was still young. You know, I'm like, I ain't coaching. You know, I ain't, you out your damn, you crazy. <laughs> and then, you know, when I was in my fifth year, I go to Indiana and I'm playing for the, you know, the great Larry Brown, who's a Hall of Fame coach as well, won everywhere he's been. And he would ask me on a day-to-day basis during practice, you know, he, he, he called me, bye, hey, bye. How would you guys double team 
you know, this guy. I said, mm-hmm. well, we would do it two ways. You know, we either come from the nail and we double team, you know, put our chest on his, on his, on his, on his arm and we lean on him, try to get him to have some air under that ball. And this is our rotation. If it goes this way, we go opposite. It goes this way, you know, and he was like, well, let's try this. So we would try it in practice. And he was like, all right, that's how we're going to do it. You know, that's how we're going to, then he came to me one day after about a week of, you know, kind of picking my brain on the way we played the game and how mm-hmm. we would, you know, take away people. He said, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I think you'd be a hell of a coach. And I went, damn, you're the second person who said that to me, you know, Pat Riley and Larry Brown. So I'm thinking to myself, they see something in me that I don't see, you know, mm-hmm. and you talk about two Hall of Famers. And so from that point on, Coop, I started keeping a journal of things I would do in, in certain situations, you know, how I would run a team, you know, what my defensive philosophy would be wow. and things of that nature. And that, that kind of got me into coaching. And you know what, B, you coached the uh, Lakers, you coached Brooklyn Nets, uh, and you coached the Cavaliers. Uh, I know each one of those organizations are different, but where did you most enjoy coaching? Well, you you you, you left out one, New Orleans. New Orleans, that's right. Okay, coached, New Orleans. Uh, you know, we, we, we drafted Chris Paul, and we had David West, Tyson Chandler, Paige uh, Strzokovic. That was probably the most enjoyable, you know, five years that I spent there because they allowed me to build that team up and and get it to where I felt we had a chance to win a championship. And then, you know, um, Mr. Shin, who was the owner, and and I had a guy who was my assistant coach who knew Mr. Shin real well, and he told me this, Coop, and I was like, come on, Gad, you got to be you, you tripping. He said, no, you're going to get this team exactly the way you want them, and he's going to fuck it up. That's exactly that's exactly what he told me. I was like, really? I was like, the owner? He said, I'm telling you, B. Coop, I got the team exactly where I wanted. We ended up winning 56 games, had the second best record in the Western Conference. We had a great young point guard in Chris Paul West. Both of those guys ended up being all-stars. Tyson Chan. We had a really good team and we had great chemistry. And showing sure up the next year, he wanted to trade. He traded Tyson. Right. I was in I was in the Bahamas and and I had told them when we when I first signed with them as head coach, I said, no decision can be made without me knowing about it. Is that is that cool? We all agree. There's a, absolutely, you know, because you are, you know, basketball players, we won't make any trades unless we you know talk to you, which is some more bullshit, you know, of course. And they traded Tyson Chandler. When I'm in the Bahamas, I heard it at a basketball camp. I go to a camp. The kid says, so you guys traded Tyson Chandler today. I said, what? <laughs> you know, I I was like, uh, hey, Jeff, uh, I'm in the Bahamas here. And I, uh, a kid at a camp just told me we traded Tyson. Oh, yeah, coach, I was going to give you a call and tell you about that. I said, get the fuck. Are you fucking kidding me? I was going to call you. Butler. I was going to That's the exact words. AT, I'm telling you. I was about to call you. I'm like, man, get that. So he traded Tyson. Then we traded Rasul Butler, the late Rasul Butler, who's one of my favorite people of all time. That was Good two time. thirds of my team, and then they expect me to win the next year. I said, "Man, I'll let y'all fucking mind," you know. And then, of course, they uh, they fired me because I said to them, "I said I don't think we're going in the same direction. I'm trying to win championships. You trying to cut back on money and all this stuff." When you told me that money was an object, I want to win a championship here in New Orleans. But you know, he's talking out the side of his neck, obviously, and <laughs> that that was in. But that team was the most fun I had because they were young. They were they they were they were ready, you know, Coop. They they listened, they were coachable, and I really enjoyed being around them. And I really just had a lot of fun with them. Teach your ass about going on vacation, huh? <laughs> yeah, no shit. I, I was like, okay, doing the basketball. I, I guess I gotta go on vacation like as soon as the season's over. Before the season. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go in July. I can't make a trade in July. 
you know, I'm like, damn, you know, I, I get back and, you know, two thirds of my team is gone. You know, it was, it was crazy. So, Dave, uh, talking about winning championships, uh, we're going back and forth a little bit. What, uh, what out of, out of the championship teams we had, which one is your favorite championship team with the Lakers? Oh, oh man. Um, that 87, 88 team. That, that's my favorite team was coach because you know we, we win in the, we win in eighty seven you know eighty six eighty seven we win and then Rouse gets up and and, and you know does the unthinkable because we're trying to just celebrate and it says he guaranteed we're gonna win it again and we all looked at each other like what what he wait a minute what what he just say you know <laughs> and we can't even enjoy, <laughs> we can't even enjoy this one you know we all sitting up there at the forum club you know and he says that so. But what, what it, it showed me is, you know, and you know Rouse. Rouse had calculated this. He had thought this wasn't something that just, you know, that he was just throwing out, you know, you know, out the side of his neck, you know, off the fly. This was something that he had already thought about. And he knew us. He knew if he made that challenge to us, that basically we're going to forget about the summer and vacation, start getting ready to, you know, make this, this, yeah. this damn guarantee come true. And that year was probably the hardest year that I've ever had in basketball because I know you remember we, we sweep through Denver and then we go seven 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 on every other team you know in, in in that playoff run to win the championship it was the most exhausting that I've ever been but it was the most fulfilling because we did something that no team had done for almost 20 years and that team we just all seemed to be so damn locked in from mm-hmm. the first day of training camp at game seven against Detroit, we were so locked in. That was, to me, the most rewarding and the most fun I ever had as a basketball player. You're the first guy not to say 85, by the way. You're the first guy that was on the 85, 85 team to not say 85, which I love. Yeah, I mean, 85 was great. We got that monkey off our back. But we also was able to do something in 88 that no team had done in 20 years. Yeah. You know, went back-to-back titles. So, for me, 85 was special because it was my first, but that 87 and – 88 back to back man I think that was you know that, that was something that not a whole lot of teams had thought about doing and obviously Riles was thinking about it you know once we won it in 87 I, I'm sure he started you know he was already you know them wheels was turning you know how can I fire these guys up to get oh, them ready right. to try to do this again because after 85 you know the 86 season you know we were we were still damn good but we did have a little bit in, in my opinion we lost a little you know had a little loss of focus, you know, maybe had that fat cat syndrome. We had won the championship, you know, Hey man, we the shit, you know, but, but when he guaranteed the next one, it was like, man, we, you know, number one, we gotta, we, we don't want to make Ralph lie. So we got to come with it. And we did. And you know what B and I'll say this about 89, we go 87, 88, 89. I had Rick Mahorn and Isaiah Thomas on here. And I told them, I said, you know what? Y'all are very, very lucky because, again, Rouse was really pushing us. He didn't make the, the comment about we're going three-peat, but it was there and we knew right. it. So we come out, he pushed us so hard, and the first practice we have in Detroit, you snap your ham. And I was like, okay, we can kind of overcome that one. And then, you know, first game of the play, Magic snaps his. And I tell people this, had you two not gotten hurt, we were the, the, the bad boys, shit, they would have been bad kids. We'd have been smacking their ass around and we would have got that three peak real quick. What's your thoughts? 
Cause I, I love the bad boys would have been the bad kids because we'd have been whooping their ass. I love that thought, boy. I, you know what? I, I, and I tell you, as good as they were, they got lucky. Because we, yeah. we had a 13-game winning streak, which was unheard, unheard of. We was rolling through the playoffs. We were playing on, and we were hitting on all cylinders. And I honestly, I, and I remember talking to one of the dudes in the media before the game, you know, before we even started game one. I said, we'll win in maybe five. It might go six. I, I, I just knew we had a much better basketball team. And if, mm-hmm. if, if myself and Buck were healthy, it, it would have been a three-peat. And we already had three-peat shirts. Shit, we, you know, we were, we were getting ready for that. You know, we didn't make it publicly, you know, but to, it, you know, behind closed doors, we would like three-peat. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. do this again. But just like any, any other sport, you know, when, when you look at the finals, you know, it, it's all about, you, you know, if you can get there healthy, you know, that, that's a big advantage. And that was the first one that, you know, to this day, and I, and I think Rouse will finally admit that taking us to, to uh, Santa Barbara and having that damn mini training camp was the worst thing done. Because I felt it, you know, during one of the practices that day, and I told Gary Beatty, and he gave me a day off and was just doing treatment. And then I came back and I was like, oh, it feels good. And then we do a damn rebounding drill the first, you know, the first time we get to Detroit and it snaps. And, and I think to this day, if we didn't have that practice, we would on bro. Wow. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you listen to Byron Scott on Showtime with Coop. Uh, speaking of health, B, uh, let's get to the Lakers this year. Uh, Lakers last year lost because of health. AD goes down. LeBron goes down. What do you think their chances are of winning a championship this year? And I'm going to put it out there. If the Lakers are healthy the whole season, or especially in the playoffs, they're going to win another one. I could I agree 110% with you. I, I think if, if LeBron and AD are healthy, they, you know, they got a chance to win it last year. I think with the additions of, of Russell, you know, Car- Carmelo, you know, everybody's talking about aging and all this crap. But I'm telling you, if those guys stay healthy and they get through the playoffs, I don't care if they get the first seed. It don't, to me, it don't matter if they're healthy. If they in there, I, I think, it, you know, they, they're going to win another championship. So, Anytime you can get those guys with that type of talent, they already did it with just, you know, AD and, 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 and LeBron. Now you add in a Russell who's hungry as hell, happy to be back home. You add in a Carmelo who, if you come off the bench and you play him, what, 10, 15, 17 minutes a game, he still like that ball up, you know, with that, with those additions, I, I don't see Brooklyn or any of these teams that can beat them in a seven game series with every, with, with everything being relatively equal them being healthy Brooklyn being healthy Milwaukee whoever the case may be I still think the Lakers are gonna win a championship this year B what are your thoughts on the NBA in general overall you like it three-point shooting you think they should add the four-point shot you know I, I think I think analytics has played a part in the NBA now a big part uh I think you're gonna have to add like a four-point shot or something like that Coop to get the you know to get that excitement back into the game not saying that mm-hmm. the game is not exciting now uh, you know, because I, I number one, I don't think a lot of these guys care about the game like we did. They don't, they don't have that passion. A lot of them are just playing tell the playoffs where we played it, you know, all out every single game because you got to look at it like it's your last game. That's one of the reasons that I, I do love Russell Westbrook. I love the way he plays, the passion that he plays with because he comes with it every single night, and I love that about him. Uh, I wish more of the guys in the NBA did that. Uh, I got certain players that I do like. And, and enjoy watching and would pay to watch. And then there's a bunch of them that I wouldn't give, I wouldn't watch them shit if they paid me, you know, so. <laughs> they have to pay you to come. <laughs> so, so they have to pay me and I have a, I probably still have a hard time watching them. 
Coop. I still have a hard time. But, you know, but, you, you know, just like you and I, we, we bleed purple and gold. We're going to always bleed purple and gold. I'm going to always be an NBA fan. But I don't watch as much as people might think I do as far as, the, you know, regular season and things of that nature. When it gets to the playoffs, then, you know, I'm watching a lot of, you know, the Lakers when they're in playoffs. I watched a lot of the Phoenix Suns, obviously, this year because of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I really love those two guys. Uh, and the Greek freak in Milwaukee, I was just amazed at how good this guy is without being able to really shoot the ball. I mean, he is so long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Coop, I'm t- am I lying? I mean, you, you, if you make him a fourth shoot 17 foot on out, it, it, hey, he, he can have – it's a hit and miss. And if he ever get to the point where he develops that and can make that on a consistent basis along with free throws, cancel Christmas. You can't stop him. You can't guard him. You know, so I, I, I'm still a fan, but, you know – it's more really towards the playoffs is when I really start to watch and pick it up because I still think a lot of these guys and a lot of these teams, you know, you could turn it in on, you could turn the TV on in the fourth quarter with like six minutes left and you can really right. see what's happening in the game. And, 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 and you, know, you don't really need to watch the first three quarters. There you have it from Byron Scott's lips to Showtime with Coop's ears all the way. Wait. Baby, thank you so much, sir. B, you want to pump your podcast? It's off the dribble. Yeah, podcast off the dribble with Byron Scott is uh, launching September 29th. Uh, I got some great guests nice. on there. One being my my my, uh, my dark chocolate friend Michael Cooper, my brother from another mother. Uh, I got my man Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I got James Worthy, AC Green, Kirk Rampus, and then that, that's just my Showtime boys. And then you know I got uh, Cedric the Entertainer. I got Joe Torre. Uh, Jeffrey Osborne. I, you know, I, I kind of went a little bit of everything. I didn't want it to just be, you know, sports. I want to be a little bit of everything. So, yeah, check it out off the dribble. You can pretty much find it at any, any, um, anywhere that you can see podcasts. We're going to be on there. And uh, September 29th is when we launch it. Dee, thank you so much. And just a little note here your Wi Fi sucks, man. You got to get that done. <laughs> But your show is in the studio, so you don't have those issues. Big, thank you, man. I love you, brother. Always will. Anything I can do for you, uh, let us know. Everybody, that's Byron Scott with the most beautiful jump shot you ever saw. Mm, Big Scott. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Coop. Love you, brother. See you, B.